Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host Jack Silsha. Well, thank you for joining us for Connecting the Diocese on this weekend show that spans Holy Saturday and, of course, Easter Sunday. It's always a bit of a, a jump because we have to keep thinking of when you are listening to the show. Some of you may be listening after Easter online as well. Father Nate Kuhn's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. I thought it would be an appropriate show to follow up after something that Bishop Callahan was talking about last week about how priests have a very special time during Holy Week. So we're going to talk to him about the seminar the people in the Journey program, and what it's like to be a priest at Easter. Back after this, on Connecting the Diocese. By this time next week, we'll be hitting April 15th, and of course, uh, the April 15th deadline is pushed back to the 18th because it hits on a weekend. But for some people, April 15th is an even more critical day. Starting on April 15th, the power companies can begin shutting off electricity to people who have gotten behind on their payments during the past winter months, during the winter month. Now, I understand it probably isn't happening to you, but there's always a possibility that somebody you know is in that situation and you hear about it and maybe they don't understand what can be done to help alleviate the problem. Many good people, just like you, suddenly get the rug pulled out from under them because of cutbacks of hours or layoffs or car repairs or medical emergencies or things like that that simply require them to lay out a bunch of money that they were going to use to pay their power bill. And they assume they can just double up and pay it off next month. And I'm quite sure many of them do. But then some get hit with a second emergency and they have no choice but to stall paying that bill again for a third month. The result is for some people that the April 5th deadline comes around and they are not able to pay off all they owe the electric company and they are going to come out and disconnect their power and there will be expensive reconnection charges when they do pay the bill. If you know someone, it could be a neighbor who's facing this problem next week, they should contact Catholic Charities starting on Monday and make an appointment to come in and bring in some documentation showing what their power bill is, how much they owe, what their rent is, how much they make, things like that. And Catholic Charities will work very hard to get the power company to leave the power on. There's no charge for this service, and Catholic Charities will work with the power company, and you'll be surprised at how effective it can be. The worst thing you can do is just bury your head in the sand and not talk to the power company. Catholic Charities' website is cclse.org. And they can help. Well, thank you again for tuning in, Connecting the Diocese. Would our new guest please sign in? Father? Father Nate Kuhn. Yes, right. And Nate, just so people don't know who you are, what are your many jobs? Well, yes, I am the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of La Crosse. Uh, and part of that is uh, recruitment, uh, working with our seminarians who are in seminary, uh, as well as running our program that is like the preparatory program for men coming into seminary. So directing that program as well. We are recording this uh, several days before Easter. People will be hearing this depending where you are on uh, Saturday, uh, Holy Saturday or Easter Sunday. And if you are, I really appreciate you tuning us in today. I hope this makes your day a bit even more special. Although, how could it be more special? Not, not because of us, but we have in the diocese I wouldn't call it a pilot program exactly, but we have a, a program that is, of course, the seminarians. And uh, last week, those of you who tuned in, you heard uh, Bishop Callahan <laughs> talking about his life starting out with, you know, with a, a martini glass and uh, uh, you know, some Necco wafers when he was a kid. 
all the way to being the bishop of the Diocese of La Crosse. And so we do have this going on. We have these stories to tell. One of these years, we're going to get some of these seminarians and these journey folks in. Uh, the week of Holy Week probably is the worst time to try to get anything organized. I'm, I'm quite frankly surprised even you're able to get in here today. Because What were you doing all day today now? Well, I spent the last uh, just over two hours hearing confessions. Uh, we have what we call the Confessathon uh, down at the cathedral in which we have four priests at least uh, from about 8 o'clock in the morning till about 6 o'clock in the evening hearing confessions all day to give people an opportunity to prepare for, to celebrate the great mystery of what Christ is about to do for us. Yeah, if you think a Starbucks queue is busy in the morning, uh, this is, it's, it's lined up really well. It yes, really it is. is. And also, unless I'm greatly mistaken, again this year, there were volunteers going to the cathedral ahead of time, way ahead of time, to basically clean the pews, clean the confessionals. I, I did it one time, and I thought that was the neatest thing, because you want to make sure that, that it's nice that the person goes in, that you know, it isn't, there's a, you know, an empty Kleenex box or something like that. All these things are done focusing on making everybody comfortable and happy and making the cathedral be what it's supposed to be. Do you have any idea the number of people that you heard confessions from in those hours? Oh, gosh. I know there are some priests that keep a clicker with them, you know, to kind of just, you know, uh, keep track of the number. And, you know, some of it for, is there for their own, you know, kind of edification. Yeah, sure. uh, but I probably, over the course of the two hours or so, um, probably 25. Yeah, that's a lot. That's an so, awful lot. There is this, uh, uh, if I'm using the right term, seal of the confessional that I have such respect for. That, that if you go tell your most innermost most concerns to a priest in confession, it doesn't go out of his mouth again. Correct. And it's amazing. And, and we've heard stories in the past where people have confessed of crimes and various things, and there's, there's, there's almost no circumstance that you can think of, because this is not meant to be for everybody else. This is meant for the person and for God. And you process this. I don't have, I can't imagine the, the mechanism of doing this, but, but you are listening intently, but at the same time, you're sending it along. Uh, you're kind of like the, the, the Wi-Fi router. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going, it's, it's, you'll, we'll say about, you know, from, from your mouth to God's ear. Well, that's basically what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, you are not judgmental. You are, it, it's a fascinating thing. We also had on um, several weeks ago the folks from the marriage tribunal where people were, were discussing why their marriage wasn't valid. And uh, again, boy, you talk about, you know, you, you never hear anybody say, hey, did you hear anything really interesting in the marriage tribunal today? <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. This is among some of the most serious parts of what a priest does. And, and last week, Bishop Callahan was talking about how this week, Holy Week, that, that the people have just finished, now it's Easter and Holy Saturday, that... This is extremely important to you and meaningful to you. Can, can you give me an idea of what your perspective is? Do you, do you find yourself too busy to appreciate it, or do you find yourself going, I, I, I got this is really incredible, and I've got to take time, or what do you do? I mean, I think this is one of the, the weeks of the year that I look forward to the most, even though it probably, for the most part, is the most busy. 
as far as the preparation. You know, people coming to confession to, for themselves to be prepared for what's coming up. Uh, but as a priest, especially in the parish, you know, my role is slightly different being that I'm the vocation director, you know, and so I have a chance sometimes I'll fill in at parishes or, or do that. But to, to be a pastor and to be entering into that preparation to make sure that, you know, especially working with, ideally, you have people entering into the church on Easter, you know, on the vigil on Saturday evening. And so you have spent time working and preparing. And, but then on a kind of a personal level, you know, spending, depending on, you know, how comfortable you are, but spending a lot of time in preparation working with the people in the parish, you know, the liturgy director, the music director, uh, but, and even on a personal level, preparing and going through and rereading what the church asks of us to do during that special liturgy, right? Beginning on Holy Thursday and kind of one extended liturgy all the way through the Easter Vigil. So there's a lot of time and prep that goes into it, a lot of reading, a lot of reflection, preparing homilies for that, and, and just all of the things, the, the different components that go into making sure that, you know, like the volunteers that you mentioned before, trying to make that it as smooth as possible, yeah. right? Trying to do what the church asks of us to do in the celebration of those lit liturgies, but also to allow people to come and to be able to pray, right? And to be able to enter into, you know, the great sacrifice of Christ and, and to, to just kind of experience that on a, on a personal level, you know, and to do what I can to be able to be, you know, in the person of Christ, but also to make sure that those liturgies run smoothly. In a very secular term, uh, in my area of so-called entertainment, uh, there's this thing called production values. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you've seen crummy movies where things are not done well. Um, and uh, there's things where you could, it's, it's almost imperceptible difference. Um, years ago, there was a, a company that came out with a, a video editing system, which they claimed was 98% as good as the really, really, really expensive ones. And it, it didn't work. It, didn't, it failed because even though it was 98% as good as, say, a commercial done by a multi-million dollar system, people have seen so many good commercials that when something isn't right, they, they may not even consciously notice it, but they notice it. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, we all know that, for example, that if there's an imperfection in the mass, it does not invalidate the mass. Correct. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you want to do it as right as you can for these people so that their experience is elevated. And, and they will forgive you if things go a little awry. I was in the cathedral one time when a bat was flying back and forth. <laughs> and they had to go out with one of those big basket things with the velvet. They usually get you know, coins and stuff and catch the bat. Yeah. <laughs> they have done it before. But uh, it didn't diminish the mass. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you can't break the mass. You mm -hmm. cannot do that. It doesn't work that way. But it is important for you, self-satisfaction, among other reasons, just to say, you know, we did a good job. Mm -hmm. But it's exhausting. I bet you the day after Easter, you're tired. Absolutely. <laughs> you just kind of, you know, the joke among priests is that, you know, if anything happens on Easter Monday, most priests will probably be sleeping or taking a nap, you know, recovering from, you know, the Holy Week. Yeah. What would be important, though, I would think, is that, and again, I'm using a commercial secular thing. When I was in commercial radio, and even now, uh, when Advent and Christmas is coming, I work my tail off to come up with special stuff, special music, special guests, Christmas stories, uh, you know, to make it all really cool. And sometimes 
Christmas comes and I realize, gosh, I've missed most of it. Because I was so busy since October getting ready for it and doing stuff. And I, I'm hoping that our priests listening out there don't sit there, you know, on Monday morning and go, ah, nuts. Uh, for me, for some reason, this, this year's Lent went really fast. I, I don't know why. I agree. I, I, it was just this last week, and I was talking with someone. I said, oh, next week is Holy Week already. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, wh- where, did, where did the yeah, time go? Yeah. You think giving up something or doing something for 40 days is going to be like, boom, it's done. Mm-hmm. You know? We did stress also this, this time, uh, that, uh, and Bishop has talked about this, that you can give up something for Lent, or you can add something. And we were thinking about volunteering, helping people, being nice to people, doing whatever. That works too. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that some people did that because it's it's a good thing. To, and keep doing it now. You know, That's right. There's some stuff I gave up for Lent years ago. I never went back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just that's part of the process. That's good. So what the, what do your what do your charges, the young men that you're dealing with, uh, do during Holy Week? That's a great question. So um, the men in the the journey program, as we call it, you know, the, the men preparing to enter seminary next fall, uh, we send them home, right? So they're not directly under my tutelage over the course of Holy Week. Yeah, part of that's to free me up to be able to help out and yeah. assist at parishes and, and do what I need to do as a priest. But I think it's a, uh, an excellent opportunity and an experience for them to be able to go back to their home parishes, you know, so the men from the Diocese of La Crosse uh, go home to their home parishes or you know, they'll be in a parish of some sort to assist during the Holy Week liturgies, to take an active part in seeing what goes into it, in the planning, in the, the process, and, and kind of helping coordinate from a server uh, perspective, right, what it means to be able to assist the priest to help ensure that the liturgies run smoothly, kind of that production value, as you were mentioning. Um, men from other dioceses as well will head back to their home dioceses, whether it's their home parish or you know, in some dioceses, the bishop asks all men to uh, join him, you know, if he's at the cathedral or if he's in another place throughout the diocese, uh, to be a part of that as well, to kind of travel with this kind of group of them, you know, as a way of making sure that, you know, kind of the pontifical liturgy, as we would say with the bishop, uh, is is kind of that much more special. But um, so it's a great opportunity for these young men to really dive into some of the practical aspects of that. And ideally, you know, they do get a chance to pray, to enter into the liturgy on the kind of the deeper level, um, but they're going to see it from a different perspective. You know, they're going to be involved. And I remember in my own life, you know, as a, when I was younger as a seminarian, you know, helping out at my home parish, and what a great opportunity it was. You know, the, the group of us that was serving, you know, we kind of bonded, you know, as we were trying to remember, okay, what comes next? You know, what are we doing? What do we, you know, uh, okay, what? What day is it actually? You know, is it Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, and trying to keep everything straight. But being able to be, you know, for me, it was being present at the church, you know, spending time at the church, you know, and, and really kind of getting a fuller, more broad understanding of what this all entails. Yeah, yeah. And now we should backtrack, or I should say I should backtrack. Uh, we have two programs in the Diocese of La Crosse. Now, most people understand what the seminarians do. That's Pretty much mm-hmm. understood, but the journey program uh, is within the relative ten years that I've been here uh, doing these kind of things is relatively new. 
and, and I'll let you explain what it is. Sure. Yeah, we call it the Journey Program, and it's really an opportunity for men who are discerning to enter in and to take a year of, we don't want to say a gap year, because it's not, but it's a year to transition and to really enter into the, that aspect of wrestling with, is God calling me to enter into seminary? You know, could God be calling me to be a priest? And it, it's a year in which it's not overly academic, you know, that's one of the challenges of perhaps seminary is that there is a lot of academic requirements uh, for a young man as he's studying and, and wrestling with this notion of what is God calling me to do, where this year is more focused on developing a life of prayer, being able to strengthen you know, those prayer habits, different things that they're already doing, uh, and to kind of give that young man a chance over the course of a year uh, to really help make that decision, am I going to take the next step? Uh, and it's, and we've had this, this is our seventh year, you know, of running this program. And it is kind of, you know, mentioned at the very beginning, kind of cutting edge. You know, this was a, a something that Bishop Callahan, you know, coming from his background in, in religious life, you know, saw a, a significant importance in, in developing, having a chance to work with young men as they're entering in without just kind of pushing them in and saying, well, good luck, hope you make it. Uh, but really taking that, that time, right? In religious life, they call it the novitiate. That's one to two years. Uh, but really just kind of establishing a foundation of prayer, establishing a relationship with, with the Lord to be able to then know what the Lord is calling to take that next step and to work on some of the human things too. What is it like to live in community with other men? That can be challenging. Uh, what is it like to attend daily mass and have a, a structure of prayer? What is it like to have uh, a spiritual director, you know, a priest that you talk about how the Holy Spirit is perhaps working in your life, you know, so kind of an introductory element of all of these different things that when they get to seminary, you know, they can hit the ground running. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that there's a, a number of listeners can probably think of some time in their careers, for example, that, you know, they thought that some job they had or something was going to be a certain way. And once they got into it, all the other stuff showed up. Mm -hmm. uh, I can think of, if I can diverse, it'll be a little bit uh, divergent here. Two things. Uh, the most recent one, which is a long time ago now, was my first radio job. I went to radio school, and they taught us to be disc jockeys and how to play records and how to, you know, da 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 da. They didn't teach us how to write commercials, mm -hmm. and they didn't teach us how to record commercials very much to speak of. And so I got there, and Okay, we need you to write two 30-second commercials. I, I was like, you want me to write a commercial? See, I thought it was all going to be, you're on the air, ha-ha, yeah, 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 I'm a disc jockey, and you go home. No, not even close. And even before that, I went to Army Intelligence School. I learned a bunch of intelligence analysis stuff. I got assigned to the Pentagon. I'm going, this is good. Big door, the fifth floor A-ring, center of the Pentagon, boop, 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 open this big combination locked door, and here are these guys smoking cigarettes with IBM Selectric typewriters. And it was kind of like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's a detective out there, or a cop, or a doctor, or a nurse, paperwork. Well, okay, I'm sure you probably have examples of young men who've come to you who have the wildest ideas of what being a priest is going to be like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. What, what do you know about organization of a, of a, a pancake breakfast? Exactly. They have to understand they are on an adventure. Mm -hmm. 
And not all of the adventure is just sailing calmly down the river. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or doing what you really like to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. How many people do we know that actually do things they really like to do? <laughs> yeah. know, there's, there's not too many. They can do it all the time. That's right. They're very fortunate. But the stuff that you really like to do, as far as a priest is concerned, you obviously like the, the practice of the presence of God, mm-hmm. as Brother Lawrence once said. And, uh, and actually, if you have that kind of a pull that's really strong, it's difficult to not do it. That's right. You know, when, when did you finally decide you wanted to be a priest? Well, I, I like to divide that into a couple different kind of landmark moments throughout mm-hmm. the course of my life. You know, I began when I was younger, uh, probably around the, the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, pretty young, about 10 years old. Um, really started to think about it. That was the first opportunity that I had to serve at Mass. You know, so I was invited by the pastor of my home parish, and you know, I would get a chance to serve with my brother, my older brother. Now I'm kind of competitive, so it was always something that we looked forward to, so my brother and I, and then later on my younger siblings as well, but we would show up to Mass, and in my mind, secretly, I would hope that there was no servers. Right, the assigned servers wouldn't be there so that I could go up and serve, ah. you know, because we were on a rotation and I got to serve every so often. But I really enjoyed doing it. And at about 10, year, 10 or 11 years old, being up next to the priest, it was very significant for me. Not that, you know, it was, you know, I could be active and not get quote unquote bored, but to be up next to the priest was something that, you know, I could see in what the priest was doing. There was a, a, a passion, you know, for, for what he was doing. And that there was this kind of deep significance to what he was accomplishing. And even though it was ordinary for, in the eyes of a 10-year-old, you know, seeing that this is significant. And maybe, maybe I could see myself doing that one day. So the initial call probably began around that time, 10, 11 years old. Um, and it kind of stayed with me. Uh, I, I would say that you know, by the time I got into high school, you know, the thought was still in the back of my mind, but I would say that it wasn't necessarily up front. I wasn't, I was actively kind of thinking about what I wanted to do post high school after graduation, but, you know, kind of these, you know, dreams that you have, like, well, what do I, what do I want, what do I want to be, you know, what do I want to become? And it was, you know, that thought kept popping up in my mind, you know, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be a priest. Um, it had been cultivated too. You know, there were people in the parish in my religious education classes and things that had been encouraging me, think, saying things like, ah, you know, maybe you ever thought about being a priest? You might make a good priest. Uh, so anyone listening who, you know, thinks they, they know a young man who, you know, might make a good priest, don't hesitate to tell them because that has a significant impact. Uh, and it did for me. So I got to high school, or at the end of high school, reaching graduation, and, you know, I was like, I really... I really don't know what I want to do. And I really started to kind of wrestle with, well, maybe, maybe this idea of the priesthood, which has been with me now for you know, quite a number of years, is maybe there's something to this. Maybe this is really the Lord kind of continuing to kind of nudge me in that direction. And you know, so kind of building up the courage to you know, reach out to the vocation director and talk with him a little bit and talk with the pastor of my home parish and and kind of get that process in motion, the application process. And being accepted then, going through the application process, right around Christmas uh, of my senior year of high school. So entering into that, those last months of, of 
my high school, knowing that the following year I was going to be entering the seminary, uh, which wasn't easy, in fact. You know, one might think that you make a decision like that, you, you kind of go for it, and you go through that process, and, and you get the acceptance letter, that now there's like a kind of a, a release, right? You can kind of take a deep breath, and, and that kind of burden goes away whether or not you're going to be doing that. Well, for me, it was almost the opposite. You know, for me, it was, you know, the, the wonderful people at my home parish were very encouraging and saying, oh, you're going to be a priest. And I, <laughs> I was kind of like, wait a second, time out, right? I'm not sure if I'm going to be a priest, but I, I'm fairly certain that I, I'm being called to go to seminary. And at that time, it was, you know, I kind of wrestled with the idea or just, it almost became much more difficult because by me signing up and kind of going through that process and being accepted, it almost felt like that was it. I was done. You know, you mentioned, you know, that in the military, you, know, you sign on the dotted line, right? And you're committed and that's it. You know, that's a huge decision, one that is, you know, very honorable. I mean, the seminary is not quite to that level, right? Yeah, it, they don't, uh, it isn't like you are now owned by us. Correct. And, uh, it, it, because they don't want people who are owned. Exactly. They want you to be there because you love what you're doing. Yes. And uh, this is the trick. Now, did you go to a Catholic high school or, or a public high school? I went to a public high school. Okay. And this is good because what did your buddies think when you told them what your plans were? <laughs> it was a, it was mixed. You know, some of my close friends, you know, that I had known for quite a while, you know, we had talked and knew that this was kind of an idea floating around in my mind and, you know, kind of knew that I was kind of entering into that process and then, you know, me sharing with them that I'd been accepted. So they had kind of had a little bit of a chance to wrestle with the notion that you're going to preschool, as they called it. <laughs> Not preschool, but priest school, right? Uh, and they're like, ah, okay. You know, some of them were like, why would you ever do something like that? Like, you must be crazy. Um, and, and, you know, the culture at the time, too, uh, being in a public school with those who were either non-religious or from a different, you know, background, religious background, you know, there was some negative views of priesthood, you know, so there was some ridicule that I received. Um, and people thinking that, again, I was crazy, that no one in their right mind would ever want to do something like that. Um, but I would say, especially my close friends were supportive, you know, kind of that notion of if, if this is where your heart's at, you know, yeah, we hope do you, it. we hope you, we hope you do well. Yeah. I, I've always wondered about people who say, you must be crazy. Uh, for one thing, I, I don't know, this is partly because I, I majored in com comparative religion. I got to study a lot of different religions, right? I am impressed by people who are so in love with God that they want to spend more time with Him. Uh, and this is whether you just pray a lot at home, that's fine. But I mean, people who are enough to become a, a priest or a rabbi or imam or you know a Buddhist monk or whatever, uh, I'm always happy to meet them because you know I can meet NASCAR drivers. And that's fine if you're a NASCAR driver. I'm sure we have several listening right now. But uh, <laughs> on Easter Sunday, uh, but you know, I, I I think that it's fascinating to talk to these people because you could learn something from them, mm -hmm. and you may discover that you, you you don't particularly follow what they're talking about. But it doesn't mean that they're totally worthless, you know. And we had we had uh, 
Bishop Callahan here several years ago with a, a retiring rabbi and the, and the, the Lutheran bishop. And it, these guys got together, they, they were just, just fine. You know, and it's really a wonderful thing. I, the tolerance of other religions is very important. As long as they're not trying to jam it down your throat or, or force you by coercion to believe what they believe. And in most cases, that doesn't really happen, except in the news in certain places and certain people. But, but as a rule, when people are, are truly interested in God get together, they get along. You know, they really do. And uh, that was that little joke about, a, you know, a priest, a rabbi, and a, and a Muslim imam get together at a bar. And no, this isn't a joke. <laughs> and the Catholic Church, my goodness, look at, look, at, look at Pope Francis. I loved it. He was in the hospital for a couple of days with the respiratory infections. And he comes on and goes, well, I'm not dead. That's exactly it. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm sorry. This is great stuff. As somebody said, religion is not taught it's caught. And we keep throwing out these, these, these tennis balls or pickle balls. <laughs> and if you hear that loud slapping noise, they're bouncing them back to us. Uh, there could be somebody listening right now. There could be a, a, a woman who wants to become religious. Uh, we have the, uh, the consecrated virgins in the world. There are people doing ways of experiencing God you have never even dreamed of. And it's really out there. Uh, and frankly, the, the way to start is to contact you. That's right. <laughs> what, what, what's the first thing? What, how, is there an average age of a person who contacts you, or is it all over the place? I would say the average age probably in, in recent years has, has maybe increased a little bit. You know, so we're finding a lot of young men and young women who are discerning religious life who are reaching out, and they're in their college years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do work with some young men in high school. Uh, I do some traveling, you know, to do kind of vocation awareness uh, type things where I go to the Catholic schools and I go to parishes or religious, religious education programs. And, you know, so being able to speak with younger students, you know, elementary, middle, high school. Uh, but I would say primarily, you know, kind of later into the high school and then into college. Sometimes it's post-college as well. So, I mean, we've had a smattering of ages across the board. You know, we had, you know, a gentleman who was in his 50s. Yeah. You know? It's like I saw a billboard. It was for, it was for uh, a Jewish organization, but uh, they had about, you know, go to church or go to synagogue, basically. And they're going, there's a billboard on the interstate that says, consider this a sign from God. <laughs> Well, yeah, and there are times when people feel this tug and they say, I can't get this out of my head. What are some of the first questions a person might ask you when they come in that, that you know, is there a typical thing they ask you a lot? You know, they go, Father, what, fill in the blank. I have no idea. Yeah, usually by the time they get to contacting me, you know, they have built up enough courage you know, to kind of be able to verbalize, you know, well, what does seminary look like? You know, who goes to seminary? Uh, can I be a normal person and still go to seminary? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that one of, is one of my favorite questions because uh, sometimes I think that, you know, people think you have to be essentially a, a walking, talking saint in order to go to the seminary. Yeah. And you have to be perfect. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> you know, you have to kind of leave behind your personality or your talents or your passions which isn't the case at all. No, no. I, I have two words to respond to that. Father Wally Eski. 
Yes. Excellent example. <laughs> this guy, he, he, you know, you can go to our website and look at Servant of God, Father Walieski, uh, who was just drawn to service in South America. And they, it took the longest time for him to get there because all of the people above him thought he just wanted to go see South America. But, and when he got there, the stuff he did, you know, one guy, one guy, just, and of course he had help with Father Sebastian, you know, many others uh, before him, um, you know, Monsignor Hirsch, they'll be up here in a, in a number of weeks to talk more about that. But uh, you can make a difference. Now, maybe you're not going to make exactly the same difference as Father Walieski did, building churches in Bolivia and doing things like that. But if you're in a small parish in central Wisconsin, you will have an impact, unbelievable impact. I always like to say, you know, you can never, never put a limit on what God can do with you. And what he has done has given you these incredible gifts and talents. And I like to quote, uh, you know, St. John Henry Newman, who talked about, he used an analogy, you know, we, we are all a link in a chain. You know, we each have a part to play, you know, and God has given us the ability to take and use those gifts and talents to really do exactly what you mentioned, to, to take that into the world, to make an impact, uh, and to be able to bring Christ to other people or to you know, be an example for others. Next week, we are going to have on uh, Chris Rogers from Family Ministries, and also even Jack Felsheim is going to be joining us as well. We're calling it the Dad Show because I've been reading in the papers about the, the mental health crisis among teens for a lot of things, I mean, which we'll discuss next week. But a priest who can reach out to young people and get them to come to church and come to the community and be involved in the community will do a great service to that young person. I was in a youth fellowship from fifth grade all the way through high school, and it was absolutely incredible and important because when I was out on my own in Washington, D.C. at 20 years old in the 1960s, boy, I had the rudder that I could steer. I don't even know if anyone understands how, how long the period of seminary lasts. Even I don't know that. Yeah, so, it's only six weeks, right? It's uh, like, yeah, that's it, good. You yeah, know, we yeah. just we get somebody yeah. and crank them out really quickly and you know, <laughs> hope, hope for the best, right? Yeah, the, the priestomatic, it's, it's boom, hey, you're, you're out there, buddy. Just, okay. you know, just turn them out. That's right, that's right. Um, well, unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, no, we wish. Fortunately, it's not well, the case. <laughs> correct. Yeah. I mean, we need priests, right? Yeah. And we wish we could make more, if we yeah. want to say it that way. Yeah. But, you know, the, the process is significant. You know, the process is involved. Uh, and roughly, it's eight or nine years. You know, if a guy is coming in without a college degree, if they're coming in out of high school, you know, to do the, the program that we have here, what we call the Journey Program. Uh, and then enter into college, whether that's three or four years, and then going into the study of theology and doing four years of theology studies. One of the things that I always like to compare that to, you know, if I tell people, and they're like, wow, that's, that's roughly the same as a doctor. You know, you're, you're in school nearly as long as a doctor. You know, a doctor is eight, nine, ten years, and you're almost the same. I said, well, yeah. Would you want a, a doctor who's only studied a couple years to be doing surgery on you? who doesn't necessarily know the, the ins and outs of the human body? Of course not, right? Mm. And on a, on a spiritual level, you know, the church says in her wisdom that you know, the men who are studying to be priests you know, are in a way a, a doctor of the soul. 
you know, to be able to walk with people, to be able to bring Christ to people, uh, is there's that intellectual, that learning that we need to have, that, you know, we study, we learn about scripture, we learn about the teachings of the church, we learn about how God works, right? Both in our own lives and in the world, so that we can then ideally, you know, foster that growth with people that we minister to in the parishes uh, to bring Christ there. But we also see it on the other side of things too. You know, I was just uh, privileged to be able to hear reconciliation, you know, hear people's confessions. It's a very intimate and very tender moment, right? And it's, it's not me doing it, it's the Lord, but kind of being an instrument in the midst of that, you know, to quote uh, Father Joe Walieski, you know, a pencil in the hand of God, yeah. right? The, the beautiful image of, you know, God using the priest you know, especially in those tender or difficult moments, right? People who are struggling with the loss of a family member yeah. as they're preparing to celebrate the funeral or, you know, just different things going on in life that a priest can work with them to give them a spiritual grounding, a foundation by which they can kind of regain their footing or have the courage to move forward to encounter the, the challenges that lay ahead of them. I, I take this stuff very seriously. Well, Again, silly story, but to make some point, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I'm 21, I'm in California, I'm majoring in comparative religion. I really like this stuff. And there's a knock on my door one, one like Saturday afternoon, and uh, this young couple, this young guy and girl, kind of immature looking, kind of go, hi, are, are you Jack Sosha? Yeah. Are, are you 21? I go, yeah, I'm 21. She says, hi, um, would you do a marriage ceremony for us? And I go, what? And they said, well, we got the license here. We're members of the Poof, you're a minister church. We can make you a, a minister by just saying you're a minister, and then you can marry us. I said, no, mm -hmm. and I'm not doing it. I gave him some other excuse, but I don't remember what it was. But, but priests, nine years is, makes sense mm -hmm. because you have to deal with people having a, a theological crises, even though they may not know what the word theological is, you know, dark night of the soul kind of stuff, uh, and you have to deal with it. And with all the things having gone on in our country recently, uh, people are just shell-shocked. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I'm thinking, and we keep talking about this on the show, this is the time to go to church, not to leave church and go do something else. Because what are you going to learn in church? You're going to learn how to be a whole person. And this is what you guys have to do. And before you can do that, you have to, have the, you have to be able to have the footnotes. To, to show what you're talking about. How many seminarians do you have now? So we currently have 13. Now we're kind of in the middle of transition, right? So we're coming up in June. On June 24th, we have ordination at the cathedral. Mm -hmm. An incredible celebration, right? Probably, you know, the greatest, my favorite celebration, you know, not just because I'm vocation director, but, and that I've been ordained a priest, but the beauty of the church and, and welcoming and, and the, the, a man who is, entered into this and who's now fully dedicating his life in service of Christ and, and his church. But so ordination will have four young men ordained priests this coming year in, on June 24th. And we just received three new young men uh, who applied and have been accepted to go to the seminary. So currently we have 13. Once the four deacons are ordained priests, you know, that'll drop us down four, but then we have three more coming in. And then I'm continuing to work on uh, we have a number of young men that I'm working with in preparation for entering our program uh, next fall. So, some in the works. Yes. Interesting thing, it, and I, I'd heard this, and I didn't really experience it until some years ago. Um, I was doing the radio stuff, 
and it was a uh, ordination. And I don't know who got me to do it, but someone said, you should go record these guys right after they're ordained, right? And I'm going, this is not, not, this is not a good thing. Uh, I let they first go out and greet parents and friends and all this stuff. And I think I did get to talk to some of them. But it was said that after a man is ordained, almost immediately there's a subtle change. And I talked to these guys and the immensity of what was going to be beginning had already settled in on them. They were by no means, they're still wet behind the ears, you know, and that's the fun part. But uh, when they become assistant pastors, you know, that's, that's mm -hmm. great stuff. <laughs> but but uh, uh, there's a change. And, and for a person who can spend a little time talking to them, they're subtly, they're subtly different. It's like they've reached a goal. They've done, they've accomplished something that they've been after their whole life. And at this moment, and I'm going, hi, what do you think of this? With my microphone stuck in my mouth, you know. But anyway, it, it is interesting. Mm -hmm. And then the assistant pastor, now you said nine years. How long do, are you an assistant? How long are you a, a greenhorn? Well, uh, you know, in our diocese, we're, you know, currently we're very blessed to be able to have, you know, the priests that we do. Um, we're, you know, assisted by many, you know, priests from other countries as well. But serving, you know, the people of the diocese. But one of the, pro kind of the process that Bishop, Callahan is really imposed is really to make sure that guys are able to grow in those first years of priesthood and not be thrown into becoming a pastor, as we were mentioning before, with all the different components of administration and finance and uh, human resources and kind of the running a, what would be kind of a small corporation, oh. right? To be almost like a CEO, but to be able to kind of experience that firsthand, to take on some of those responsibilities uh, on a lesser level, maybe to begin to help with a budget, to be able to work with the pastoral council, to be able to see the the daily goings on of of what parish life is all about, while being able to participate in the sacramental life as a priest as well. So we have usually four years of you know being an associate to kind of help get us on our feet, to help get us kind of on the job training. Uh, yeah, we've spent nine years in, in seminary learning the you know, the book stuff, uh, but then the practical stuff, you know, the classic saying is, well, they didn't teach us that in seminary, right? You know, the application of what we've learned, you know, the transition that goes from taking it from a book and learning and looking at examples of different things to now putting into practice, dealing with real people. Yeah. There's a, there's a thing in the broadcast business called doing air checks. And one of the most, uh, well, painful and useful things that happens is that your boss, your program director, will have recorded your show. And then he will sit at his desk and he'll play parts of it back. And he'll say, now this place here, you see what you did? You said the weather, but you forgot to say what the current temperature is or whatever. And this gets you to do a better job. And my understanding is, is that uh, as much as they possibly can, they will try to pair up the associate pastor with the appropriate senior pastor. So they work well together. Mm -hmm. uh, th there was somebody on the radio years ago was talking about how, uh, you know, you, you talk about my, my, my yoke is, is light, right? Well, they said that if you ever watch someone, the, the oxen work in pairs, and that they said the guy who carves the yoke, there's usually a stronger ox and a, and a, a slightly lesser ox, he makes the yoke different shapes so they fit properly together. And this is kind of what happens 
when you pair up these priests because you, you, you get to know these guys pretty well. You kind of know, the, and you know the priests pretty well. You kind of know that Father so-and-so over here in whateverville would be a real good one to talk to this guy because in this one area he needs a little bit of support. And this is a great thing. The other thing I should mention that the RCIA program is fundamentally concluding. Uh, there's more stuff that goes on after Easter, but the culmination of more than nine months are you beginning to see a pattern here, folks? The church wants you to understand what it is. It takes nine months at least to fully understand why you might even want to be Catholic. And so it's not so unusual that they would have a journey program and then a seminary program and then assistant pastors, uh, assistant pastors, uh, pastors, they're putting me out the pastor, <laughs> assistant pastors, um, because uh, it's really important stuff. You know, this isn't like you're working at Whippy Dip, you know, and, uh, and you right. didn't know how to make the soft serve right. Mm -hmm. um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if people understand this. This is really serious business because the people who are doing it, priests, bishops, cardinals, the Pope, to them this is probably one of the most important thing in the world. Because yeah. uh, if you miss out on it, you, you, you're really missing out on a whole bunch. Just a whole bunch. You, you know, you don't want to be on your deathbed, but they'll joke about, I wish I could have spent more time at the office. Uh, but <laughs> in this case, I wish I could have spent more time understanding what God was about. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the information is out there. Or, as they said in the X-Files, the truth is out there. You talk to these priests. And, these, and if you're one of these people who, you're listening to this today and going, Boy, they're making an awful compelling reason why I should be looking into this, because I'm, I'm really feeling this. Uh, you will not only learn what the program is, but you may also have alternatives. Uh, there are brothers, there are uh, people who are monastic, there are all kinds of other things most of us don't know much about. And uh, you know, it doesn't mean everybody is gonna walk out with the perfect fit, but you'll at least know, and for those of you who once you walk out after you listen to Father, you know, and you go, gee, this is really good. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What's, we talked about the first step is contact you. How do we contact you? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, you know, if you could go visit the website, you know, the Dasson website, and we have a, a tab on the right side that says vocations, you know, and there'll be opportunities to look at our current seminarians. We have information there, you know, all kinds of information if you want to learn more about it. But there's also the contact info. Yeah. So contact info for me and the vocation office. Uh, Renee is my, um, the one who runs the office, you know, and she uh, kind of keeps my head on straight oftentimes. Uh, so, you know, if you call the office, oftentimes she'll be the one to answer and be able to get in touch with me. And, you know, we begin to have that conversation. We begin to say, you know, May, let's, uh, you know, we can email back and forth or we could talk on the phone. You know, if you'd like to sit down and chat and maybe grab a bite to eat or grab a cup of coffee, I'd be more than willing to do that, to set something up, even to travel, right? If, yeah. I mean, if you're not able to drive all the way down to La Crosse, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, drive up and meet you wherever would be yeah. easiest. Well, I think, again, uh, and there's, there's no obligation. You're not going to come with a sheet of paper and like this pin to take a drop of blood. The person is discerning what they're doing. You're also discerning. And you're going to honestly say, you know, I, I really understand your zeal. I don't know if priesthood is exactly what... We have a diaconate program. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you know, this may suit your particular needs better, uh, or it may, maybe the other way around. Maybe the person says, what's the diaconate about? And then you're, you're talking to them and say, well, you know, you could also consider priesthood. Uh, could happen. It really could. The, the, the URL is diolc.org. It's really simple, diolc.org. And you can navigate around. It's pretty well put together. And by the way, all of the extra old shows are on diolc.org. You can hear things from previous shows as well. And also, I should say, in all sincerity, if you hear the show and you say, I want to hear this again, or I want to play this for somebody who's been talking to me, diolc.org slash connecting. It's an MP3 audio file. You can click on it to play it, no charge, no password, no email address. And if you want to, you can even download it onto your, you know, your iPhone or whatever you happen to have. So you could save it for somebody else and say, you really should be hearing this, Fred. Um, I, I, they're saying the same things you are. <laughs> <laughs> only, yeah, only you're funnier than they are. But uh, <laughs> probably true. <laughs> and also, that's another point we should make. You don't give up your sense of humor because you joined the church. Correct. You know, you don't. You just don't. I, I, these fun-loving, enjoyable priests, um, they're, having, they're loving what they're doing. And so jokes, fine. Playing golf, fine. You know, I mean, going to movies, fine. It isn't like you just sit there going, I'm a priest and I can't do nothing. Yeah, that's exactly the opposite of, of what a, the priest should be <laughs> yeah, doing. Yeah, it's a good thing. So seriously, if you are considering these things, um, you know, uh, they, they really would like to talk to you. And also, if you are listening outside of the diocese, there are offices in other dioceses around the country. If you're in our diocese, 15,000 square miles, um, now, this is a good question. I don't want to steal priests from other dioceses, so don't get me wrong, folks. But if a, can a priest, could you, can a person living in La Crosse go someplace else to apply, or vice versa? Can a person living in Iowa come up here? Are they going to, is that going to cause problems with the diocese of I, in Iowa? Or? So that's an excellent question. I mean, something that I have dealt with, you know, if I've, as I've traveled to some of the universities, you know, let's say, let's use, for example, yeah, University of Wisconsin at La Crosse here. You know, going over to the Newman Center and, and working with young men who, you know, have expressed an interest in discerning and, and trying to figure out, you know, am I called to seminary? You know, so I can have a conversation with them. But my role as vocation director is to make sure that, like you mentioned, you're not, you're not stealing. You know, we don't want to steal guys like, well, you should stay here, right? You should study for us. Yeah. You know, so there's a, kind of a friendly banter. You know, oftentimes, you know, the vocation directors know one another, especially kind of regionally, locally. So like, the, for example, the vocation director for Madison or Milwaukee or Superior Green Bay and go across the river and like Winona Rochester or uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis. And, you know, you start kind of going a little further into like, Illinois. like I've met many of these vocation directors. You know, we get together uh, every year. We have a vocation director conference in which we have a chance to kind of get together and and talk about what's going on in like our the broader but our region. Right. And and so we get to talk about, you know, different places that have guys from all over and, and we get to contact with those vocation directors. So if a guy from, for example, UW, UW lacrosse uh, comes to me and says, you know what, I, I think, I think God's calling me to, you know, think about the priesthood and maybe enter seminary. And I'll say, great, let's, let's talk about that. He says, Oh, by the way, I'm from Milwaukee. Okay. I don't say, well, good luck. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, I hope for the best, yeah. but what I'll do is 
I'll actually reach out to Father John Lacoco, who is the vocation director from Milwaukee, and I'll say, call him up and say, hey, Father John, and I got this young man named Bill, and you know, Bill said that he is interested in, in you know, discerning and interested in the priesthood. So uh, I have his contact information. I, I talked to him, and he said he'd be willing to, you know, I could pass that information on to you. So, you know, here you go. Yeah, right. You're all working for the same boss. Correct. And so that covers it pretty much. Father, thank you so much for being here. And I, I just love talking to you because uh, I keep thinking of all these young guys who are going to change the world. And they really do. Um, you know, they really, <laughs> they absolutely do. And they may not notice it right away. But then again, Father Walieski was just, he was just hammering stuff and fixing people's houses, you know, and he's, uh, he's changed the world. And so uh, what, what more can you ask for? Right? Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed coming on and talking. And you know, one of the things that it's just getting that information out there, you know, kind of sometimes the priesthood can seem like this mysterious thing. Yeah. Right. And, and, but when you start to dig into it a little bit more, you know, it's, it's real human beings, you know, and it's an opportunity to, you know, God might be tugging on your heart. God might be calling you or someone, you know, maybe a son, maybe a grandson, maybe, you know, the, the young neighbor that lives down the, you know, down the road and, uh, that you see at mass every, every day or every weekend. And you think, wow, this, this young man might have a calling. So to be able to talk to them or like you said, to be able to go back and to listen to some of this and, or to put them in contact with me, you know, yeah. or if, you know, they're still up in the air about it, you know, to reach out and we can have a conversation. It's not like if I'm, I'm not forcing anyone, right. And yeah. that we want the, the men who freely want to follow God's call. Absolutely. And if I'm trying to force them to do something else, then I'm not doing my job. There you go. Now, one final question before we have to finish this up. Easter Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Do you get to eat Easter dinner? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, are, are, you, are you awake enough to eat Easter dinner? That's probably the better question, yeah, right? I, um, I will have a chance to eat Easter dinner, right? I'll have a chance to go visit my family um, once kind of everything is finished. Um, I actually have the privilege this year of being able to go back home. Ah, very and good. so I will be able to be able to celebrate with the pastor of my home parish. Uh, he's generously said that I could come and, and join him for those celebrations. Um, which isn't necessarily all, doesn't happen very often, right? Mm -hmm. My ability to go back home and, and celebrate Mass with the people that I grew up with. That's um, neat. So, but so, I'll have a chance. And, and other years when I was in parish, you know, parish life, and, you know, I, usually by Easter, you know, afternoon, Easter evening, by the time everything got all cleaned up and, you know, things like that, and, you know, maybe depending on how far away I was from home, or even there's been times where, you know, families of the parish had invited sure. me to join them. And that was really a, a special kind of moment. Yeah, but falling asleep on the ham is not a good thing. Well, that, yeah, they kind of, they understand, but they kind of frown on that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Whether it be Holy Saturday or Easter Sunday, sometimes you want to just sit back quietly and maybe read something inspiring or listen to something inspiring. Where do you go? And of course, you can try wading your way through thousands of videos on YouTube to find one that's just right. But a much better idea is to go to the Diocese of La Crosse website, diolc.org. Here you can hear Bishop Callahan's Easter message. You can listen to homilies about Easter. You can, if you want to, begin taking a course from Franciscan University at Steubenville, absolutely free for folks in the Diocese of La Crosse. 
If you're feeling a little unsettled by all of the meanness and tragedy that you see in the news, you could find out about good things going on around the world through our missions department. Also, you can meet some of the children from Casa Hogar in Peru and see their pictures and hear their stories as well. It'll make you feel pretty good about what goes on around here. You'll also be able to find links to all kinds of places that are doing all kinds of things helpful to folks in need. Catholic charities, adoption services, so many things more. You can check a calendar of events to see what's happening at your parish or other parishes in your area. There's so many things you can look at at the Diocese of La Crosse website, diolc.org. There's also an area that you can leave a prayer request for a loved one or some people that you know that just need prayers. And, of course, we have the last 100 radio shows we've had on at diolc.org slash connecting. There's no charge to hear them or download them if you wish. You haven't got to register or give a password or give your email address or anything like that. You just go to them, find one that you think may be interesting, and click on it to listen or click on it to download it to your iPhone or whatever you happen to have. All this to help enrich your faith journey at diolc.org the Diocese of La Crosse website. Jack Sosha with you saying goodbye for now for connecting the diocese. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy, happy, glorious Easter. See you next week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, They came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the man. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles all these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Let us pray then as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen.